Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The following audio may contain graphic descriptions of violence or audio clips of real-life distressing moments. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Obscura, where we shine a light on the dark. Welcome, listener. I'm glad you're here. Have a seat next to the fire. You know, there's something about fire that draws me in. No, seriously. For me to be entertained, I don't need anything more than some roaring flames and maybe a beer to keep me company. Fire isn't pretentious. I can stare into the dancing flames and fall into a trance. The crackling wood can provide its own sort of music. A windy night is just an added pleasure. A fire holds no memories. It doesn't judge you for your past transgressions. The mistakes you remember just before falling asleep. The faces of those you've wronged. Who you've hurt. Who's hurt you. While destructive, a fire has no motive. No memories. No empathy. What or even who it consumes was simply standing in its way. I think I must have been a hair shy of being a pyromaniac. Good thing I dodged that bullet. Listener, when Josh submitted this script, I began contemplating the nature of empathy. Of forgiveness. Are their acts unforgivable? I think so. But I know not everyone agrees with me on that, and that's okay. Today's episode, titled The Outbuilding, covers the death of a child. If you're sensitive to this kind of subject, now's your time to stop the episode. Trust me, you won't hurt my feelings. Now, let's get on with it. Man's vanity may well approach the infinite in capacity, but his knowledge remains imperfect. And however much he comes to value his judgments, ultimately, he must submit them before a higher court. Cormac McCarthy, Blood Meridian Part 1. The Judge When observing a courtroom, The job of prosecutors and defense attorneys may seem like the most challenging possible undertaking during a trial. For most cases, that's probably true. Judge Thomas Locke, 
probably perceives things differently. It's a tough job, but someone has to do it. Indeed, someone did have to do it. There was no hope for justice in a case like this. That went out the window long before an arrest was ever made. Be that as it may, Richardson had to be held accountable for his crimes. Prior to his guilty verdict, Richardson also needed to be given the benefit of the doubt. Regardless of how heinous a crime, all defendants have the right to a fair trial. Few people would be capable of maintaining impartiality throughout a case like this, and that's why Judge Locke is remarkable. During Richardson's trial, jurors, police officers, court officials, and family members alike were brought to tears. Often needing to leave the room as the ruins of Tegan Skiba's unfathomable last days were put on display. Lawyers clinically refer to such ruins as evidence. It's a deceptive description of what was being presented to the court. At one point, attorneys argued over whether or not the jury should see photographs of what happens when a four-year-old child experiences something the devil wouldn't abide in the darkest caverns of hell. Lucky jurors, someone had their best interest at heart. Judge Thomas Locke, on the other hand, wasn't afforded such consideration. No judge is. He also didn't get to leave the room in tears. Someone had to be the neutral, strong, silent type in the room. He's the only one who could manage. No one would envy Judge Thomas Locke during Jonathan Richards' murder trial. Just before Richardson is given his death sentence, Judge Locke's eyes reflect everything he's seen during the trial. And what he's seen is in fact everything. Every photo, every video, every bite mark, every welt, every piece of evidence. He's seen the glaring enormity of sadistic torture as inflicted upon a child. And moreover, he's seen the minutia therein. Judge Locke never falters. He never gives away to emotion, though it's woefully obvious that emotion is swirling beneath his tough exterior. Even so, he maintains order over his courtroom, exuding a level of absolute control and authority that cannot be feigned. Most people don't like going to work, often with good reason. Arrest assured, however difficult and infuriating a job may become, remarkably few of them will ever compare to the madness of presiding over that nightmare-inducing 2014 trial. In truth, it wasn't a tough job, or even the toughest. It was impossible. And yet, Judge Thomas Locke managed to complete that impossible task. Acknowledge and appreciate that one example of human spirit and its triumph now. Because in this story, perseverance is not a reoccurring theme. Chapter 2 Decisions of Life and Death Unlike Jonathan Richardson's trial by jury, context is a privilege, not a right. In life, we generally have to take revelations as they come, however bizarre. We can demand clarification, but the universe isn't often inclined to oblige. Courtrooms try to extract that context, at least in theory. 
They do their best to put everything into perspective when the questions just feel too overwhelming to shrug off. Sometimes they succeed, sometimes they don't. Jonathan Richards' defense attorney attempted to put the murder of a four-year-old Tegan Skiba into perspective. She presented to the Johnsonville Superior Court that Richardson was himself the victim of severe child abuse. That defense was an abysmal failure. For one, it was a flimsy argument, at best. Truth be told, it was outright offensive to victims of child abuse. After torturing Tegan in a barn for ten days, Richardson took her to an emergency room where she later died. Her tiny body had withstood innumerable injuries, including clear signs of sexual trauma. This wasn't a case of a parent flying off the handle or losing control after a few drinks too many. In fact, Richardson wasn't Tegan's father. He was just her mother's boyfriend. This was the case of a predator seizing an opportunity. A predator taking things as far as possible before realizing he was about to get caught, then panicking and trying to pad the rocky ground on which he was about to land. All instances of abuse are unacceptable, but one can draw a line from point A to point B, and understand how such things happen in certain cases. Bad upbringings and sordid histories are shackles, but they can be broken with enough time and effort. Is there redemption for any child abuser? That question doesn't have a black or white answer. Few questions do. Some people think so, others disagree. It varies from case to case and person to person. The redemption of an abuser lies within a victim's forgiveness, or lack thereof. It lies with the abuser's expression of remorse, their desire to change, and a willingness to accept accountability. More importantly, it lies with genuine sincerity and consistent, observable changes. Even that isn't always enough. In the end, there are trespasses one person can forgive while another may be unable. Even more daunting for the regretful abuser is that some victims may be able to forgive their abusers, but simply choose not to, as is their right. The toughest part about redemption is that it must be willfully granted. No one is obligated to accept an apology. When a victim ends up dead at the hands of their abuser, that web of redemption becomes more entangled still. Forgiveness cannot be procured from a corpse. The best a murderer can hope for is secondhand grace, bestowed by friends and family of the deceased. It's a tough sell. Perhaps even more taboo than murder, especially in terms of seeking compassion from victims and their families, are instances involving sexual assault and rape. Such crimes bring about a particular indignation. Most are inclined to look past. Who could blame them? Moreover still, when the victim experiences multiple forms of physical abuse, combined with rape and torture, and is ultimately murdered, it seems absurd to even mutter the word redemption in the offender's general direction, especially when that victim is a small child. As we take a moment's pause in the middle of our exploration of the dark corners of humanity, let's explore a different kind of mystery. One that takes you back to the roaring 1920s with June's journey. In this hidden object game, you slip into the role of June Parker, 
tasked with unraveling the murder mystery of her sister. Each scene is meticulously designed, filled with hidden clues that lead you deeper into a storyline, riddled with danger, romance, and scandalous family secrets. I've personally ventured through the ornate parlors of New York to the charming streets of Paris within this game, each chapter peeling back layers of a complex narrative that's as engaging as it is visually stunning. Beyond just solving mysteries, June's journey invites you to escape into an era of opulence as you build and customize your very own estate island. It's the perfect blend of challenge and relaxation that I find incredibly refreshing especially after delving into the often intense themes of our podcast. For those of you who thrive on solving puzzles and uncovering stories, June's Journey offers a chance to channel your inner detective. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Step into June's shoes and help her solve the ultimate mystery. Can you uncover the truth behind her sister's tragic demise? Now. Let's dive back into our own mysterious journey here on Obscura. Stay tuned and keep your wits about you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we navigate the complex narratives of true crime, it's clear that life's stressors, both big and small, can accumulate, affecting our daily lives and mental health. It's important to have a space to voice these concerns, to unravel the personal mysteries we carry within us, Therapy offers a safe space to do just that. It's not only for moments of crisis, but for anyone aiming to foster better coping skills, set healthy boundaries, and ultimately, thrive. BetterHelp facilitates this by providing online therapy that's tailored to your schedule, making it both convenient and flexible. With BetterHelp, starting therapy is straightforward. Fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. If you find your needs aren't being met, you can switch therapist at any time without any additional charges, ensuring you find the right fit for your journey. If you've been considering therapy or curious about how it can help, give BetterHelp a try. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com Obscura today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Obscura. Take a moment to support your mental health. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Eagle, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. Their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly, it's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. 
Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Obscura. I then went to the room where Tegan was located. I observed numerous cuts. I just can't bear to look at it anymore. And I asked him to stop. You asked the doctor to stop? I asked the doctor to stop. I told him that was enough. I couldn't look at it. I couldn't bear it to see it anymore. It immediately brought tears to my eyes. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen done to a human being, especially a child. Never seen anything like that in the years that I've been doing this as a law enforcement officer. It seems likely most criminals in these cases wouldn't be concerned about remission anyway. As abusers travel further down the path of destruction, gray areas dim and perpetrators move closer to that hard-to-find section of the world, existing only in black and white. Tegan Skiba's murder had no gray area. For Richardson, condemnation was a given. He was sentenced to death in 2014. Wherever you stand on the death penalty, it's difficult to feel bad for Richardson. During the break, Jonathan Richardson, accused of torturing and murdering the child, often smiles. When the jurors returned, De Silva says Richardson made a curious remark after his arrest. What are y'all going to do? Tie me down and cut me up. He just looked right straight at me and just had like a, a slight little... A slight little grin on his face. Killing someone as a means to deter further violence seems counterintuitive to opponents of capital punishment. They have a point. That said, even the most vehement anti-death penalty person can fall victim to visceral reactions. Believing murder to be immoral doesn't mean a person doesn't still feel the pull of murderous rage in their guts. It just means they're declining to act on that rage for the greater good. It may be true that no human should be able to decide when another life has ended, but that doesn't suggest a primal human yearning to extract revenge has somehow evaporated. Trading knee-jerk reactions for mindfulness and critical thinking is a crucial component of human evolution. Is it still wrong to commit premeditated murder against a remorseless child killer, even if it's state-sanctioned? I leave that one to you, listeners. But that doesn't mean Richardson's death sentence entitles him to even a modicum of sympathy. It just means more arbitrary violence in the future is now a certainty. That shouldn't be anyone's goal. Someday that cycle must end, regardless of how satisfying it feels to retaliate. Jonathan Richardson's defense was that he, himself, was a victim of child abuse. His attorney claimed that he suffered from untreated mental illness anger management problems, and addiction. This may be true, or it could be a complete fabrication. The truth of Richardson's past in the case of Tegan Skiba's murder is irrelevant. The jury had the same sentiment. Richardson's background may be a fine source of useful data for future studies on violent criminals. It may help identify those who have yet to act out or serve as some point of reference to draw conclusions as yet undiscovered, may even serve as an interesting filler for a movie of the week or a documentary. Excluding those potential uses for Richardson's assertions, his previous struggles 
are now of no concern. Perhaps he was the victim of an unimaginable childhood. If so, such a childhood never gave him a pass to perpetuate that cycle of violence. If anything, it should have served as a deterrent. But history tells us that just isn't how abuse works. Recurrently, victims themselves often become the very monsters who made them. It's a tragic fact that has become so ubiquitous in life. It's now a common theme in storytelling. Extending across all genres and mediums, from the best-selling and often critically lauded Hannibal novel series by Thomas Harris, to science fiction epics like Star Wars or even cheeseball slasher movies like Silent Night, Deadly Night, this is a moral dilemma of indescribable complexity. Sure, these people did horrible things, but can you blame someone for abuse or trauma they suffered as children for horrors they had no control over? Of course you can't. Victim blaming is both gruesome and an epidemic in the United States. But once a victim becomes the abuser, that's where their own tragedy becomes that of another, regardless of one's upbringing. It's the responsibility of all victims to ensure that they are the ones who break the cycle of abuse. Nothing positive comes from trauma, aside from a hope that, maybe, this is where it will end. So while Richardson's childhood was indeed elaborated on at his trial, it's a waste of time to explore it. That long-winded tapestry of excuses was woven by a defense attorney and her defended as an effort to reduce the accountability of an emotionless, sadistic murderer and rapist who didn't want to face repercussions for his actions. As previously stated, that effort failed, as well it should have. There's simply no rationality for a crime like this. The condition of Tegan Skiba upon her arrival to the emergency room in Smithfield, North Carolina, was so horrifying, the doctor who examined her said that he almost vomited. And then they unwrapped the blanket, um, and you see the rest of her body, and you're, you're just shocked. When they unwrapped the sheet, it became very clear that this person had been suffering for a long period of time, and I was not prepared for that. All of a sudden, it sort of hit me, and um, you know, I got sort of upset again because I realized, oh my gosh, the reason why her blood count is so low is not from the bleeding in her brain, but it's from all these wounds. He'd been practicing for 25 years at the time. A nurse working at the hospital attacked Richardson, and according to her own testimony, jumped across the counter and tried to rip his throat out upon seeing Tegan. And at that point, I just couldn't take anymore, and so I looked at him. And I looked at him and I just, I said, oh my God. So I took off after him and I chased him down. You you chased him down? I was running for everything I was worth. I called him from behind. I called him by the throat and I slung him around and I started pushing him for everything I was worth. I was trying to get him back to the ER. I didn't want to do what needs to be done right here, right now. Another doctor who saw Tegan testified that he silently prayed for the child's death in hopes that she wouldn't have to live with those memories and injuries. When the condition of a child evokes those kind of reactions from seasoned medical professionals, there is simply no amount of talking or blame shifting that will yield any semblance of rationalization. Jonathan Richardson gave it a shot nevertheless. He apologized for torturing Tegan Skiba for 10 days in a barn before ultimately killing her. He also said it was an accident, 
that he wanted to go to church. Church didn't want him. Chapter 3 The Degeneracy of Mankind When the lambs is lost in the mountain, he said, they is cry, sometime come the mother, sometime the wolf. Cormac McCarthy, Blood Meridian Ellen Roxon Rays went away for Army Reserves training on July 6, 2010. At that time, she was living on the property of Richardson's grandmother, sharing a home with her daughter, Tegan Skiba, and her boyfriend, Jonathan Richardson. Note the distinction that Helen was living on the property and not in the house with the grandmother. There's a significant difference. It was only a home in the sense that it was where the family was living day to day. This dwelling the three shared was in fact not a house, but a barn of sorts. Like most barns, this one lacked running water or a bathroom, although there was apparently power running to it, as it was air-conditioned, according to reports. There seems to be some disagreement on whether this was a barn or a shed, as the descriptor changes back and forth from one news outlet to another. Police reports refer to it as an outbuilding. Fournier said trash was stacked up against the walls and the shed reeked of urine and feces. She described clothes and partially eaten food all over the floor, along with alcohol. The jury also saw photos of a little girl's clothing that Fournier suspected had blood on it. While showing a pair, one pair of pants, Fournier went silent and began to weep. Why the family was living in that outbuilding is unclear. Though it seems likely money could have been a contributing factor, news reports vaguely point to a falling out between Reyes and her parents, which prompted Reyes to vacate the Skiba home and move into the barn behind Richardson's grandmother's house. Detective James R. Jarrell of the Johnson County Sheriff's Office described the appearance of the outbuilding in his report from July 16, 2010. The residential outbuilding is best described as an unpainted wood frame, small single-story structure approximately 20 foot by 20 foot in size. The outbuilding is located directly behind the main residence of 750 Old Sanders Road, Smithsfield, North Carolina, 277577. The structure has a burgundy door with a white storm door attached. The structure also has windows on each side of the door with a lean-to type shelter protruding from each side of the building. The building has a tin roof, silver in color, and has two windows at the rear of the building. This outbuilding is the residence of Jonathan Douglas Richardson, Helen Reyes, and Tegan. Richardson volunteered to look after Tegan while Reyes attended army training, telling her his grandmother would help babysit while he was at work. Reyes' decision to allow Richardson to look after a four-year-old daughter can be taken two ways. On one hand, army training isn't exactly the kind of thing someone can just get out of. Generally speaking, People in the military can't just call in sick. Missing an order to attend training can carry serious legal ramifications. Child care in America isn't usually free, and judging by the living conditions of Reyes and her daughter, it seemed like money was an issue in their lives. Financially comfortable people don't live in outbuildings. 
though it's easy to see why she left her daughter in the care of someone who may well have been the only person volunteering to help. Another way to look at Rhea's decision is to consider the fact that she was well aware of Jonathan Richardson's capacity for violence. Many feel that by leaving her daughter with Richardson, she was guilty of criminal negligence. Richardson wasn't a quiet, unassuming murderer people were shocked to find out was capable of such atrocities. He was demonstrative enough in his sadistic tendencies that most parents would have probably declined to trust him with young children. Richardson was charged with injury to property in October of 2007, then the following month was charged with burning an unoccupied building and communicating threats. There were definite signs that Richardson wasn't the go-to guy for someone in need of a babysitter. What makes things all the more tragic is that he'd not only physically assaulted Tegan Skiba prior to July 6th, but also that Helen Reyes was aware of the incidents. According to a report from WRAL, it happened on at least three separate occasions prior to Tegan's death. I am here for Tegan. I am here for my baby, for justice for her, because that man murdered my baby. Reyes said she once left Tegan with Richardson, went to Walmart, and returned to find the girl with a cut on her head. Richardson said she accidentally hit the corner of a stationary bicycle. Another time, Tegan's eye was hurt during a trip to the beach. He told me there was a wave that came and ended up hitting her eye, said Reyes, who now works in a medical office and has an eight-month-old girl. Reyes also testified that she returned home once to find welts on Tegan. And I went inside. And I grabbed her and I held her and I told her I loved her. And I asked, was she okay? I was angry. I was outraged. I was ready to leave. I wanted to go. I told him never to touch Tegan, to discipline her like that. He told me that he had whipped her for throwing up on his chair. He had whipped her with a power cord. The couple's tumultuous relationship continued, and Richardson tried to call it off several months before Tegan's death. In court, Reyes read aloud part of a love letter she had written to Richardson at the time. If I tell you I love you too much, then tell me, and I'll tone it down. You have shown me what it means to be truly loved and treated well. When asked why she stayed, she said, He was stern with her at times, but he showed that he loved and cared for her. Reyes said that she left Tegan with Richardson during her training because he volunteered to take care of the child saying that his grandmother would help while he was at work. I trusted him, and I trusted his word. Tegan said she really liked him, and that she wanted him to be her dad. Numerous eyewitnesses during Richardson's trial spoke of his temper and his tendencies to dominate people he perceived as weaker than himself. Was Helen Reyes stuck between the proverbial rock and a hard place? Probably. But whatever the alternative was, even further financial struggles and legal ramifications from the United States Army, leaving her child with a known abuser wasn't the lesser evil. Reyes was later charged by the Johnstonville County Sheriff's Department with child negligence following the death of her daughter. On July 16th, Richardson brought Tegan Skiba to the emergency room at Johnston Medical Center, claiming she had hit her head after falling off a bed. This was an attempt to explain away the condition of the child that was far less than insufficient. 
Tegan Skiba was nearly brain dead, barely responsive, and covered in human bite marks. In some instances, her skin had been ripped away completely by Richardson's teeth. Richardson had also beaten her repeatedly, using an extension cord with exposed ends. Welts from the whipping were all over her body. She also had a number of bruises and had endured notable trauma to her genitals and anal area, leading the state of North Carolina to later convict Richardson for sexual crimes involving a child. Richardson had tortured and raped Tegan Skiba in the outbuilding for 10 days, videotaping certain instances which were later presented to the court. In one of the videos, Tegan begs Richardson not to hurt her anymore. Richardson told authorities that the child had urinated and defecated on him while they were in bed together. It was at this point he said he lost it and began beating the child mercilessly. In the video presented at Richardson's trial, Tegan pleads with Richardson, promising she will tell someone if she needs to go to the bathroom from now on. Richardson yells at her to speak up. Richardson later hit Tegan over the head with a piece of wood, which prompted him to take her to the emergency room fearing she wouldn't survive the injury. After arriving to the emergency room, Tegan was transported to UNC's intensive care unit for children. Dr. Keith Kosis, who specializes in critically ill children, was the attending physician at UNC's intensive care unit for children, and the four-year-old Johnson County girl was brought to the hospital in July 2010. Startling is not the right word. Certainly deeply disturbing is, again, not how I truly felt It was a very visceral response, like I was going to vomit. The then 21-year-old Richardson had originally taken Skiba to Johnson Medical Center. She was later transferred to UNC, claiming the girl had fallen off the bed. However, doctors found she had cuts, bruises, a head wound, and bite marks on her body. Skiba died days later from her injuries. Kosis said he had never seen injuries like that on any child in his 25 years as a doctor. We saw this small, frail child. You know from her status. She was pale. She was poorly, profused in shock. Those parts don't portray how beaten this child was when I had first looked at her. These scars, these whip marks, these injuries to her skin, they were all over her body. I mean, there was essentially no part of her body that was spared. His testimony got pretty graphic at times, when he began to detail the extent of the girl's injuries. At one point, the jury was asked to leave the room while the prosecutor went over some evidence with the doctor and discussed showing the jury video and photos of the injuries. Kosa said Skiba could have been violently shaken because she had brain injuries, similar to other cases. He said he was only able to tell she had brain function by poking a needle in her foot. He said her foot responded little and that the girl had very little brain functions. We knew that there was significant intracranial brain injury, bleeding in the brain on the left side, and it was so severe and impacting the brain, it was swelling. The doctor testified that Skiva was one step away from being brain dead. Her basic, very basic functions of the brain, what we call the brain stem functions that keep you alive, were deranged and failing. He also said the girl had a lot of acid in her blood from possibly poor circulation of air, and that Skiva was barely hanging on when she arrived to UNC. After obtaining a search warrant for the outbuilding signed by Judge Thomas Locke, authorities seized items from the building that included rope, duct tape, underwear, which was covered in blood, a condom wrapper, 
guns and ammunition, drug paraphernalia, and the extension cord used on Tegan. Richardson's teeth were also molded to show proof that he had been the source of Tegan's 66 bite marks. Tegan held on in the hospital for three days before passing away on July 19, 2010. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 4. See the Child Following Richardson's arrest, one of the more disturbing revelations was a phone call he'd made to Helen Reyes, which was videotaped. In the video, Richardson tells Helen that he loved Tegan to death. Defense attorneys attempted to use this video as evidence of Richardson's mental state at the trial, but Judge Locke did not allow it. In the video, a tearful Richardson is on his cell phone talking to Tegan's mother and his girlfriend of six months, Helen Reyes, about how much he adored the child. I wanted to have kids with you when you got home because I loved being around her so much. I loved her to death, Helen. I do. I would never intentionally hurt her. He goes on to say he wanted to raise a family and be a good father to Tegan. She's never had a father, and the way she's warmed up to me, she loves me so much. Richardson continues, saying he popped Tegan on the leg for misbehaving and was surprised when detectives told him she had broken bones. Richardson in the video also talks about needing help. You know my mind is messed up, don't you? You even said. Sobbing, he tells Reyes that it was all an accident. Helen, I just want to tell you that I didn't mean to do it, and I didn't hurt her head. The lock ruled the phone conversation was hearsay because the full conversation between Richardson and Reyes couldn't be heard. Despite being charged with child negligence, Helen Reyes appeared at Richardson's trial to testify against him of her own volition, not as part of a plea deal, according to WRAL. Helen Reyes breathed heavily and dabbed her eyes as she took the stand, then broke down in tears when the prosecutor, Greg Butler, asked why she was in court. She described her relationship with Tegan's father, Jerry Skiba, whom she met at an Applebee's in 2005. After Tegan was born, Reyes said Jerry Skiba became violent and the two split. She said she was single until she met Richardson. I cared about him. I felt I was in love with him, or falling in love with him. There seemed to be two versions of Richardson, the loving and caring man that Reyes was falling in love with, the stoic murderer who reveled in the degradation of his victims. 
Prior to sentencing, Richardson was kept at the Johnsonville County Jail, where authorities found a shank in his cell made from a toothbrush and nail file. He was also accused by guards of throwing urine and feces on staff and of threatening to kill other inmates. Judge Thomas Locke ordered that Richardson be put in shackles following the incidents. Refuting Richardson's defense was Sandy Penny, a longtime girlfriend of Richardson's father, who told the court that allegations of abuse were fabricated. When asked if Doe Richardson had been a good father to Jonathan, she replied, Yes, he did spank him, but I can tell you, I can count on one hand how many times he spanked him. I mean, we all get angry and raise our voice, but he is not an angry man. He is a very loving and fun man. He was a good dad, and they had a good father-son relationship. Jonathan had a good home. He had the best of both worlds. He had his mom every other weekend. He had his dad every day. And the other weekends, they went fishing all the time. Even in the absence of Penny's contradiction, Richardson's defense would have been, at best, a shot in the dark. It was the only leg his attorney had to stand on. When it was refuted by someone close to Richardson, that leg was ostensibly swept. In closing arguments, Richardson's defense attorney said to the jury, We're not asking you to forgive Mr. Richardson for what he did. Life in prison without parole is not forgiveness. It is its own abyss, a life condemned to prison for someone convicted of sexual assault and torturous murder of a four-year-old girl is a special kind of abyss. It's a special kind of hell. Prosecutors also made closing statements, instructed the jury not to take pity on Richardson, and asserted that death was the only fitting punishment for Richardson. Assistant District Attorney Greg Butler stated, He wants you to feel sad. He wants you to be concerned for him in his self-described horrible life. He wants you to have sympathy for him and forget this terrible, senseless, needless, vicious crime that he committed against a little four-year-old girl, Tegan Skiba. All this is just to get your attention taken away from what he did, how he did it, and who he did it to, and why. Johnston County District Attorney Susan Doyle also spoke to jurors. She was a tough little girl, but as tough as Tegan Skiba was, she was no match for that defendant. She was no match for his persistent and his calculated and his carefully planned acts of torture. As she began her slow, torturous death, she was in this dark, dirty, lonely place. She was in a shed all alone, and she had no one. No one with her. She had no one to help her. She had no one to care for her. And she had no one to comfort her. She had no one but him. Your sentence will finally bring justice for Tegan. And your sentence will allow her family to begin to put away some of this pain and to once again remember that sweet little girl who in happier times loved to say, It's a sunny day. Let's play. The prisoner, Jonathan Douglas Richardson, having been convicted of murder in the first degree, by verdict of the jury, it is returned at the term of the Superior Court of Johnston County, North Carolina and the jury having unanimously recommended the punishment of death. It is therefore ordered and the judge that the same Jonathan Douglas Richardson be, and he is hereby sentenced to death, and the sheriff of Johnston County, North Carolina, in whose custody the said defendant now is, shall forthwith deliver the said prisoner, Jonathan Douglas Richardson, 
due to warden of the state's penitentiary in Raleigh, North Carolina, who shall cause the said prisoner, Jonathan Douglas Richardson, to be put to death as by law provided. May God have mercy on his soul. As a death sentence was handed down, Richardson's face remained emotionless, as it did throughout most of the trial. Jonathan Richardson is currently on death row in Raleigh, North Carolina. Gerald and Sarah Skiba, Tegan's grandparents, were at the sentencing and felt death was the appropriate punishment. Gerald Skiba's only point of contention was that the deed should be carried out sooner rather than later. The way I see it, he got the verdict today. He should be dead tomorrow. He tortured my little granddaughter, and she's never coming back again. Epilogue Jonathan Richardson is obviously to blame for what was done to Tegan Skiba. No one, not even his defense attorneys, refute that. Prior abuse certainly could have helped facilitate his sadistic tendencies as an adult, but fails to mitigate such an atrocity. Ellen Reyes exhibited remarkably poor judgment in leaving her child alone with someone she knew to be abusive, however difficult her situation may have been. That said, the state of North Carolina may have convicted the person who murdered Tegan Skiba, but it also helped facilitate her situation. Fiscally conservative legislators tell single mothers to fend for themselves when it comes to child care. It should be noted that most parents find manageable solutions in that department. It should also be noted that apathy towards child care in North Carolina and all over the United States help facilitate dangerous situations for children, as overworked or inattentive parents often resort to whatever means of supervision they can find for their children. Tegan Alyssa Skiba was born on July 6, 2006, in Rayleigh, North Carolina. She died July 19, 2010. Her obituary reads, She was Helen Reyes and Jerry Skiba's little girl who loved purple butterflies, ladybugs, and her grandmother's garden. Tegan's grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, and all those she met and saw her beautiful smile will miss her very, very much. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.